Well, good morning and happy Mother's Day. It is so very good to see each and every one of you. And I want to start off by saying to all the moms uh, who loved us when we weren't very lovable. Uh, to all the moms who worked so hard to make our houses homes, who prayed for us daily for years and years, shaped us as we are today. We just want to honor you. And also to those of you mourning the loss of a mother or maybe her absence for some of you. And to those of you who long to be mothers, we, we grieve with you. And to those of you right now who are up to your armpits and dirty diapers <laughs> and making meals and doing laundry and going to Little League baseball and softball games, we salute you because you are amazing and we love you. So can we just kind of give a Southwinds honor and... Uh, Thanks to those who are here today, all our, all our moms, all the, the women who are in our midst. Well, I want to welcome you to week number two of our new message series called Emotions. Uh, you are not what you feel, and we are going to God's word in this series, seeking to learn about our feelings, seeking to understand them in a more truthful, biblical way. And as I mentioned last week, and I think most of us know, there, there's a very common thing in our culture that most people really kind of believe that our feelings define who we are, that what we feel should determine how we act. And we don't believe that here um, as, at Southwinds, as biblical uh, believers, as Christians. We believe that God's truth should determine our lives. And so in this series, what we're doing is we're talking about how our emotions should not define us or determine our lives, that instead, uh, we should learn to see them as gifts from God that can help us to grow more like Jesus as they are uh, guided by, shaped by the truth of God. And I do want to mention, because I think it's common in the church, that some of us, we, we go to the opposite extreme of our culture. Some of us think that emotions are inherently bad, that they are always unreliable. And if that's you, I think and I pray that during this series you will learn that emotions actually are a blessing from God, that they tell us a great deal about the state of our hearts, that they reveal to us things that we love, things that we trust, and that when we take them to God's word, God can use them to guide us and to form us more and more into the image of Jesus Christ. Now today, we are looking at how we respond to anxiety. Anxiety is one of the most painful emotions. In fact, anxiety uh, may be the most common form of pain uh, that we experience. A lot of people have called this the age of anxiety. Uh, many experts say it is the number one medical problem in America. And I was thinking this week how relevant a topic this is, especially for Mother's Day. Maybe you've read some of these surveys and studies, studies that uh, in 2019, um, about uh, three years ago at this time, came out and said that anxiety then was at an all-time high in America with 55% of Americans saying they felt anxious on most days. For moms, it was higher, 59%. So much of that, of course, uh, related to kids. That was 2019. Today, after two years of a pandemic and a financial downturn and an ongoing war, uh, the stress and the anxiety are higher and higher than ever. Anxiety over inflation, anxiety about the possibility of another pandemic, anxiety over war, anxiety over 
you fill in the blank. See, recent reports that right now, 2022, say that as many as 50 million Americans are experiencing anxiety disorders. And so as we kind of dive into this, get started, I want to ask you a diagnostic question just to, just to kind of make sure if this will be a helpful message for you, okay? I want you to think about your life's major categories, about your job and your health and your relationship, your, your finances. And with that in mind, here's the question. How many of you have at least one problem or you know where you can get one? Would you just raise <laughs> your hand, right? How many of you are sitting next to your problem? Don't, don't raise your hand on, on that one. Well, it looks like this message really is for all of us. And it's not a surprise you realize that the most frequent command in all the Bible is to not be anxious or afraid or fearful. And there's a reason for that. Anxiety is spiritually toxic like almost nothing else. Just think about it. Anxiety robs me of joy. It destroys my ability to feel grateful. So I, I really can't experience uh, gladness in life on this day. Anxiety makes me obsess about myself, not look out to serve others. Anxiety makes temptations look more attractive because I want to do anything I can to escape the inner pain. And that, that means that anxiety often drives some of the biggest problems with sin in my life. Anxiety increases my irritability. It destroys my appetite for spiritual growth. It, it poisons relationships among Christ's followers because when I'm anxious, my focus is on me, so I really can't love other people. Anxiety keeps me from taking risks, from daring to do what God made me to do, from experiencing life's great adventures. And worst of all, anxiety erodes my trust in God. It just eats away at my faith. See, when you study the Bible more than any other factor, you'll see that anxiety is what keeps people from saying yes to God because God's always calling and challenging people. And more than anything else, anxiety is what causes them to say no. And we just live in a world filled with anxiety and we all face it. It's part of all of our lives so I just wanna ask you to begin thinking about this, surface it, what are you anxious about today? Is it financial anxieties like, will I keep my job, will I ever find a job, how do I deal with my debt, you know, what if I, what if I lose my house? Is it relational anxieties? Will my spouse love me next year? Will my kids turn out okay? Will I ever get married, will I ever have kids? Is it health anxieties? What if I get cancer? What if I, what if I have a heart attack? Is it safety anxieties? What about another pandemic? Is it gonna come? When's it gonna come? What about rising crime rates and et cetera, et cetera, all around us, all of the problems? And I hope you realize that part of what we experience with anxiety is this new reality in our world that we just, we live in a world that has what I might call daily information tsunamis. We are always being drowned in data, right? We, we hear about every single bad thing. We just do. Every new health hazard, every accident, every death, every natural disaster, all around the whole wide world, it's all there all the time. 
And then people on the internet, they just make up more stuff for us to worry about, right? Do you realize that, that all of us instantly can know about things that even just 50 years ago, only God knew? And may I submit to you that we were not created to handle that kind of information overload. That we were not created to process that kind of potential anxiety. And by the way, this is not in my notes, but if you wanna deal with your anxiety, one of the best things you can do is unplug a lot of your devices way more often than most of us do. And I'm serious about that. See, anxiety, anxiety is an emotion that can define us and that can determine our lives if we let it, and some of us do. We say, well, I'm just a worrier. That's who I am. But I wanna tell you this morning, you don't have to be. Jesus actually tells us what we can do when anxiety attacks in his Sermon on the Mount, and you can find this sermon in Matthew chapter five through seven. We're gonna be looking at chapter six, verses 25 to 34, so you'll wanna get there in your Bibles. And here's what Jesus tells his followers about what to do when anxiety attacks. Beginning in verse 25, he says, therefore I tell you, do not worry. Say that, do not worry. Do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today, tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things. And your heavenly father knows. He knows. He knows that you need them. Amen? He knows. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And all God's people said, especially about that last line, right? Well, how do you handle your anxiety? I mean, what do you do with it? I, I heard about a guy who told his friend, you know what? I have a mountain of credit card debt. I just lost my job. They repoed my car. We're losing the house, but I'm not worried at all. The guy said, why? Well, I've hired a professional worrier. He does all my worrying for me, so I don't even have to think about it. His friend said, that's incredible. How much does a guy like that charge? And uh, the first guy said, $10,000 a month. His friend said, $10,000 a month? You don't have $10,000 a month. How are you gonna pay him? His friend said, that's not my problem. <laughs> His job to worry about. You know, it would be nice, right, if we could just pay. 
We just pay and, and take care of our anxieties. But the Bible, it doesn't say it works that way. And in this passage we've just read, Jesus talks about three things that we need to do when anxiety attacks so that we can learn how to respond to this emotion with truth and so that we can grow, because it's always a process, especially with anxiety, we can grow to be more like Jesus Christ. So what are those steps, those three things? Number one, you can write this down, identify my anxiety. You'll notice in verses 25 and 28 and 31 and 34, Jesus repeatedly gives a command, and that command is do not worry. He asks a question, and that question is why do you worry? So he starts out, he's telling us not to worry, and he identifies in these verses some common worries. And I wanna kind of uh, take off of that and say we can begin to respond to anxiety by naming our anxieties. We can identify them, and we should do that explicitly and clearly. I would suggest that you write them down so that you can see them clearly and face them squarely. God's word commands us to, to pray about our anxieties, and we, we cannot do that if we don't name them. Does that make sense? So, so here's the thing you need to understand. A key part of anxiety, how it operates, is that it stays in the shadows, right? Have you noticed that? It kind of hangs around out there, over there. You don't quite see it. It's in your peripheral vision, maybe. It's nearby, but it's kind of out of focus, you know? And so much of anxiety's power lies in its hiddenness. So we need to bring it out to the light. We need to identify the things that we're anxious about. But, but identifying anxiety is more than just giving it a name. We need to understand what anxiety is and we need to see why we experience it, how, how it functions in our lives. And I wanna say a few things. The first thing I want you to see is that feeling fear or feeling worry isn't the same as anxiety. So you need to understand this. The worry Jesus is talking about here is not just feelings of fear that may enter our heart whenever we experience stress or danger. And so those feelings, they may be revealed physically by increased heartbeat or sweating or flushed face. Maybe you get kind of a sick feeling in your stomach. Those kind of things, those feelings will come and they'll come many times. And the reason they do is that fear has a purpose. It alerts us to danger. It, it calls us to action. See, if you, you lose your job or if your spouse is drifting away or if your kids are making horrible choices or if the, the doctor gives you a threatening diagnosis, Jesus doesn't expect you to react with a shrug and a yawn. It is normal to experience fear, worry, anxiety in those moments. What Jesus is talking about here, this is an anxiety that happens when we don't respond appropriately to those fears. The Greek word that Jesus uses here literally means to distract and to divide. And anxiety distracts us from living. It divides our thoughts and our energy and our focus. Anxiety happens when we don't recognize God in our fears, when we try to control it, when, when we chew and we stew on whatever it is we're worried about, when we dwell on it and that thing grows and it, it builds in us. And some of you, you live like this. Uh, this 
reference will date me a little bit, but I think most of us kind of know for, for many people, it's kind of like they are living with that baseline from the movie Jaws playing in the background all the time. You know what I'm talking about, right? Something's always out there and it's danger. And because of this, you need to understand so clearly, Jesus calls us away from anxiety. That's what he means when he says, do not worry. In fact, I want you to say those three words again. Will you do this all together? Do not worry. Jesus says those three words, and he says those three words three times in this passage, in verse 25, in verse 31, in verse 34. And so Jesus is commanding his followers not to be anxious. And he asks us in these verses, why, why do you worry? So why does Jesus issue these commands? Well, one answer is found in Psalm 37, 8. And this is a, a great short verse to memorize. It goes like this, do not fret. It leads only to evil. So the kind of, of worry and anxiety that Jesus is telling us not to uh, indulge in and give into, it has no redeeming qualities. It leads only to evil. And, and I wanna highlight this because a lot of people kind of gloss over anxiety when we, we talk about it like it's just a personality quirk. You know, some people, maybe some of you, you, you'll have to know if this is you or not. Some people even kind of brag about it. I'm just a worrier. Some of you, you kind of think you're a little superior because you worry about things. No, you're just doing the opposite of what Jesus tells you to do. It, it, you know, we need to be sure we understand what we're, we're doing. We need to see anxiety damages. It leads to evil. It hurts you. It hurts other people. And, and again, I want to be clear. I'm, I'm not talking about every single kind of anxiety. There are often complexities involved in anxiety. There, there may be times when we, there are medical, physiological issues. I'm not talking about those things. I'm talking about the general experience of what most of us deal with what most of us face, and more often than not, in most of our lives, at the root of our anxiety are spiritual issues. Well, what are those issues? And, and understanding these are key to identifying my anxiety. See, when Jesus says, do not worry about tomorrow, in verse 34, he's kind of summing up everything else he said, because uh, think about it, anxiety is always about the future, it's always about what might happen, right? So you can say it this way. Anxiety is the desire to control what we can't control. This is at the heart of anxiety. We want control where there's no possibility of control. And that's really kind of in the definition of it, right? Because it's out of our control. That's why we worry. We can't control it. That's why we get anxious, David Pallison, a Christian author, counselor, he said, worry assumes the possibility of control over the uncontrollable. The illusion of control lurks inside your anxiety. Anxiety and control are two sides of one coin. Since we can't control it, we worry about it. And that leads to something else I need to identify about my anxiety. I like to think I'm in control. Anxiety uncovers the illusion and shows me I've never been in control. Jesus says, can you add 
even a single hour to your life by worrying? And what he's saying is, listen, listen, who's been keeping your life going all these years anyway? Why are you worried about it now? Let me, let me put it in these terms. When, when you go to the doctor and the doctor comes in with bad news or you're at work and the boss comes in with bad news, suddenly we get anxious because we feel out of control. But it's the threat that reveals the illusion that we've been living on all of these years that is your true condition and here it is. You've always been out of control. You've never been in control. You've always been vulnerable. You've never been keeping your life going. You see, anxiety ultimately comes when I don't accept and trust in God's ultimate control. When Jesus says, oh, you of little faith in these verses, he's, he's really putting his finger on the beating pulse of our anxiety because at the core of anxiety is unbelief. Jesus is saying we're anxious when we distrust, when we we push away the fact that we are totally dependent on the supporting power of God and that we're not accepting his lordship over our lives' circumstances. So we need to identify our anxiety, what it's about. And again, I wanna keep saying our, our anxiety sometimes stems from physiological issues and sometimes that needs to be treated medically. I'm not seeking to address that kind of anxiety today, though I do believe what Jesus says has relevance and should be a part of a Christ follower's response even in those cases. See, for anxiety that's, that's rooted more in spiritual issues, Jesus is commanding us not to be anxious. It's a command. But this is very crucial to see. I think we can understand when we read the scriptures and we think about what Jesus is saying here that he doesn't give this command like a drill sergeant would. I I heard some years ago a pastor, he was kind of poking fun at himself and he was in his 70s at this time and he had gotten married when he and his wife were in their early 20s and he said early on she kind of went into a time of depression and he said, I did everything I could to get her out of it. He said, I tried everything, especially he said every morning I would go to her and I would say to her, buck up. But he said, nothing helped. He said, she was incorrigible. Well, and what he had learned and what, I think most of us come to understand is just telling someone not to worry or be anxious rarely works, right? And so you need to understand that Jesus is not coming to us today and saying, buck up. Why are you anxious? Cut it out. Stop it. Don't worry, be happy. He doesn't do anything like that. Instead, I think if you look carefully, you'll see that what he's doing is he is coming alongside us. He's, he's coming more like a friend and he's talking to us. He's reasoning with us. He, he wants us to identify what anxiety is and more specifically why we are anxious. It's sort of like he, he does surgery and he's saying anxiety is wrong. He said, it's not my plan, not my best for your life, but if you will sit still, if you will allow me in, if you will let me do my surgery, if you will listen to my teaching, I can, I can get it out of you. I can remove it. So I think we need to understand with anxiety, Jesus calls us to obedience. We don't miss that. But there, at the same time, there's this definite sense 
that Jesus is saying, I wanna show you how, and I wanna walk alongside with you to get underneath the surface and get to the heart of your anxiety so I can help you with that anxiety. So that's the first thing we, we need to do when anxiety attacks. The second, the second part um, of what Jesus says is this, I evaluate my anxiety. Jesus asks again this very crucial question in verse 27, can any of you, uh, any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? And, and I think for, we need to recognize for us to battle anxiety, we have to take a real clear, hard look at what it actually does in our lives. We have to evaluate its value. Uh, again, uh, Psalm 37, eight says, do not fret, it leads only to evil. And so I want you just to write down and be aware of that anxiety is harmful. It's not just some minor inconvenience. Well, how does it lead to evil? Well, start off with this, anxiety harms me. Uh, the person who's anxious came across an interesting quote from a Johns Hopkins researcher. He said, we do not know why it is that worriers die sooner than the non-worriers, but it is a fact. You've heard the phrase, She's worrying herself to death. It's actually literally true. Jesus said you can't add a single hour to your life with anxiety, but we know today you can actually take years off your life. Dr. Ed Hallowell, who taught for many years at Harvard Medical School, he actually wrote a few years ago a best-selling book on worry. He, he writes, worry can make you sick. It can cut down your enjoyment of life. It can hamper your productivity. Toxic worry is bad for every system in the body. It increases the risk of heart attacks and strokes. It impairs digestion. It causes shortness of breath. It causes all kinds of musculoskeletal aches and pains. And it produces headaches and migraines. Anxiety harms me, but anxiety also harms others. You know, anxiety is contagious, kind of like a virus. According to the LA Times, researchers at Harvard and MIT have discovered that an individual's emotional state is often linked to the emotional state of their friends. Get this, they, they, they found in their study that negative emotions are more contagious than positive emotions. In other words, you worry, and pretty soon all your friends are freaked out too, right? It's, it leads to evil in so many ways. In fact, one study says worry can even bring on tooth decay. Research says that uh, patients experiencing anxiety had a consistently higher rate of cavities. It's just amazing how, how damaging it can be. And that is why God says to fight anxiety because it damages you. It, it damages your life, not just your peace of mind, your relationships, your, your health, your lifespan. It's not a good thing. And most of all, anxiety hurts your relationship with God. It, it, it distances you from God. You're, you're not living in his love and care. And so what this means is don't accept this in your life. Do you really want to give yourself to something that damaging? There's a second thing that Jesus points out. I don't know if you've ever thought about this. This will really appeal to the efficient people among us. Anxiety wastes my time. It wastes my time. It's a waste of life. Why? It doesn't accomplish anything, right? Ed Welch is a Christian counselor who's written extensively on anxiety. He made this statement. I love it. He says, anxiety is a false prophet. And what he means is that almost always what anxiety fears just doesn't happen, right? 
In fact, that, that's kind of so universally known, we sort of really recognize this, that it's been turned into a joke, you know? I've had people tell me, well, don't you tell me worrying doesn't work. The things I worry about, they almost never happen. See, my worrying, you know, keeps them from happening. No. <laughs> Anxiety just obscures reality. I heard a great uh, uh, picture of anxiety a number of years ago. It's something we recognize here. It's about fog. And, and a study showed if you go into a city and you have this dense fog, and this dense fog is like seven city blocks this way, 100 feet deep, you can condense the water that makes that fog into one glass of water. And that's what anxiety is a lot like. All that obscured vision, not very much substance. We just cannot see life clearly with our worries, but not much is really there. So here's the question. Have, have you evaluated your anxiety? Have you, have you faced the truth that it harms you? It, it leads only to evil. That, that leads us to be ready for the third thing, and this is where we get explicit about what Jesus tells us to do. He says battle your anxiety. I need to battle my anxiety. In other words, this is not, uh, this message is not some kind of magic cure. I don't have a, a Bible pill to give you that will just make it all go away. It's a fight, and it will always be a fight because we live in a broken world, and nothing in this world gets completely fixed until we're with Jesus, amen? And so we need to learn how to fight against it. So Jesus is essentially saying, when you look at this passage, if you're full of anxiety, there are two things you're doing wrong, and therefore, if you wanna deal with these two things, there are two things you can do right. This is where the battle is. And the two things that we do wrong are wrong thinking and wrong priorities. And so let's, let's see how we fight those. Number one, I battle by changing my thinking. If I have wrong thinking, I need to change it. I battle by changing my thinking. And Jesus gives two illustrations. In, in verses 26 and 27, he talks about the birds of the air. In verses 28 to 30, he talks about the lilies of the field. Now, don't miss this, and you can see this. If you've got your Bible open, it's very clear. Again and again, Jesus is telling us to think, to think. Now, in the old King James Version, in the book of, of Luke, this uh, parallel passage, Jesus says, consider the ravens, or the birds. He says, consider the lilies of the field. Our, our modern translations say look, and, and they say see, which is an accurate translation, but it kind of obscures the role of our minds. And I think in this regard, consider is better because Jesus is calling us to ponder. He's calling us to think. And so Jesus, in a sense, is saying, if you're anxious, you're not thinking clearly. Does that make sense? If you're anxious, you're not thinking clearly. He says, don't be anxious, but consider this. Consider that. Now, I just wanna be really clear on this before I, I move on. I hope you understand how critical this is. Some of you think faith it's just an absence of thinking. Can, can I tell you, according to the Bible, that is absolutely wrong. The Bible never divorces faith from thinking. If you think faith is like closing your eyes and jumping, that's not biblical faith. If you think faith is saying, well, it doesn't make any sense, but it doesn't matter, I just need faith. 
The Bible never talks like that. That's not how Jesus is talking here. Jesus says faith is thinking. In fact, Jesus would say that anxiety is the absence of clear thinking. The absence of clear thinking. Like, Think about this. When and where do you worry the most? Do you realize you probably have a place and a time, right? Does anybody know where your time is, when your time is, where your place is, where you do the worry the most? That would be part of anxiety, right? Identifying it. And maybe you should just not go there sometimes. But, but let's just say it's at night. Because I bet if I took a poll, this would be one of the, uh, the most common uh, places and times. It's at night, like after you've gone to bed. Have you ever noticed this? You're so tired, you can't wait to lay down and go to sleep. And you lay down finally, you close your eyes, and your brain goes boing. Right? You start thinking about things. You start worrying about things. And you get an anxious. Well, what's happening in those moments, do you know? Let me tell you, when you're laying there, what's happening is this, you are listening to your heart run off at the mouth. And that's what makes you scared. Because when your heart is anxious, it runs off at the mouth, the the way all of us do if we don't think before we speak. And so you're lying in bed and your heart is just, just talking very quickly oh it's so bad this is going to be horrible what will I do how will I ever recover it's all inside your head and it's always talking to you it will not shut up right you know what I'm talking about and you're hearing you're listening to these thoughts like do you ever think you'll have real friends maybe people don't like you because you just don't take care of yourself I mean look at your weight do you really think people like you Will you ever get married? Is anybody gonna ever wanna marry you? Will I always be alone? Will I ever have kids? If I have kids, how will they turn out? Will they be healthy? And what about my health? Am I gonna be sick? I mean, I have a friend, they're dying of cancer right now. What, what if I have to go through that? Or I know some people with Alzheimer's. Maybe I already have Alzheimer's. What do I do about that? What was I thinking about? You know how this goes, don't you? Have you ever noticed how rapidly those thoughts come at you in your mind and how they jump from one topic to another and they just keep going and keep going? You're listening to your heart instead of doing what the Bible says, it was just talking to your heart. Listening to your heart is what Jesus says brings anxiety. And so Jesus says, talk to your heart instead of listening to it. That's the opposite of what the world says. The world says, listen to your heart. No, the Bible says the heart is deceitfully wicked. Who can know it? Your heart lies to you all the time. Your heart needs to be corrected by the truth of God's word. And so you, you talk to your heart. When your heart is talking to you, you tell your heart, stop talking. Listen to the word of God. What does God say? Listen to God's truth. Let's get the truth, the facts. Consider this, heart. Consider that, heart. And really, in a sense, you argue with your heart. You talk to your heart. See, again, what is faith? Faith is not just passing peaceful thoughts through your mind. Faith is not turning your mind off. Faith is a position of confidence toward reality based on what God has said in his word. See, if you don't believe that God has spoken in his word, there is absolutely no way to effectively deal with anxiety, period. Every other technique is just a Band-Aid. 
But if you understand what God has said in his word and then you use God's word to do battle, to change your thinking, you can fight against anxiety. You say, well, what is Jesus doing? How is he saying that? Well, he gives you two arguments. And the first argument, Jesus says, is you go to the word and you see that God is in charge. This is the the birds of the air argument. The second argument is that God is good. That's the grass of the field argument. And I'm gonna ask you, do you know how to use these? Maybe you've never done that. Well, let me show you how you use these. Jesus says, first, the first argument, consider the birds. He said, God is in charge of the birds. God gives the birds what they need. And then he says, and you don't have even the power to change one minute of your life. He's saying, God is in control. And the more you learn this, the more you live in this, the more you lean on this, God is in control, the more power you will have to battle your anxiety. Do you see it? God is in control. God has all the power. God is in charge. God is sovereign. The Bible says God is the God of providence. And I'm asking you, do you know how to use this on your heart? You know, what's providence? Well, it comes from the word provide. Providence. The doctrine of God's providence is that everything that happens to you is a part of God's plan, that everything you have is a part of God's provision. The Bible teaches us all through its pages. Ephesians 1.11 says that everything is working out according to the counsel of his will. Romans 8.28 says all things work together for good for those who love God. Jesus is saying there is absolutely no way that you can possibly ever deal with anxiety, fight against anxiety unless you believe that. See, when you worry, it's as if in that moment you are not believing that God is working everything together for the good of those who love him. And so the moment that you finally say in your heart and begin to live according to this, you finally say, I am not in control. I am going to stop trying to be control in control. I will not demand that God explain things to me I'll become willing to say, Lord, you know what is best. When that happens, anxiety begins to lose its power. Philippians 4, 6 says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And very practically, what that means is whenever you worry, you turn that worry into prayer. It's a process. It's not a magic pill it doesn't make worry just go away immediately, but every time you worry, you, you take it to God. See, that, that means when you ask God for something, you're thanking him ahead of time for whatever he sends. You're, you're trusting him. How can we, we do that? Well, we can do that when we trust that God would not give you anything that's wrong or bad for you. And, and at a human level, we kind of understand how this works. And I'll, I'll take some of you back. This is Mother's Day. I'm gonna put some of you right back into where your kids are right now, okay? And you'll remember, this is where you used to be. When we were kids, right, we all thought that our parents were basically ruining our lives, <laughs> right? They wouldn't let us do anything. And you're really little, you know, they will tell you things like, stop swallowing those rocks. 
You know, they'll, they'll tell you, don't put the fork in the electrical outlet. You know, and, and kids think, oh, people just don't know how to live. They don't have any fun. They ruin everything. But when you get older, what? You, you realize that they were, you realize they were saving your life every day, right? Saving your life every day. So that's, that's the first argument, the birds of the air, that God's in control. The second argument is the grass of the field argument, and it's a different argument. The first was about God's power and sovereignty, where you say he's in control. Who else could I trust but him? And the second argument, it says that God is good and that he loves you. God is good, and he loves you. Anybody feel like saying amen right now? In verse 32, Jesus says, your father knows what you need. It would help you, some of you, so very much if you could begin to remind yourself every day, my father knows what I need. Do you believe that? He knows what you need. See, this is where you get your heart and you start to argue God's love into your heart. It's kind of like this. You say, listen, heart, listen, heart. You know that he loves you more than you imagine. You know he knows all the hairs on your head, that he knows how many tears have run down your cheeks. You know that. You know that heart. You know that if he did not spare even his own son, how is he going to fail to give you everything that you truly need? And you argue with yourself and you talk to your heart instead of listening to your heart and you begin to realize, you begin to realize there's a sense in which anxiety is kind of like a daily text to God saying, I don't think, God, you have my best interests in mind and whenever we realize that, we realize, I don't want to say that, and, and I don't want to be there. You, you, you realize that, and so you want to live differently and think differently. See, anxiety, in a sense, think about it like this. It's like saying, God, you emptied heaven of your greatest treasure. You executed your son voluntarily for me, but I'm not sure you really know the best way to arrange my week. And see what happens, because we all have done that. Can, let's just say I've done that together. I'm gonna do it with you, okay? I've done that. We all have done that. I mean, we all do that. We're probably all gonna do that sometime in the week that's ahead. You know, and when we realize what we're actually saying, we begin to realize we are offending against his love, and we don't wanna do that. And the more we realize that, I think the more we realize how much God loves us, that he would put up, with that, that he would bear with that. You wouldn't put up with that, with somebody else in your life if they did that to you, but God loves you so much, he does. And so you are arguing with your heart and you're reminding your heart, he's my father, he loves me, he's in charge and he loves me, he knows what I need, he's good. So first wrong thing we need to address is wrong thinking. Second thing is wrong priorities. And I battle, in this case, by changing my priorities. Jesus says in verses 33 and 34, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. 
So wrong priority is pretty simple. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Do you know what this means? Remember the story with Mary and Martha? Jesus came to their house. Martha was running around and and literally it says in the text she was anxious about many things, doing many things. It's the same word Jesus uses here in Matthew 6. Mary, on the other hand, sat at Jesus' feet and Jesus says to Martha, and he loved Martha so much, he said, Martha, you're anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has found it. Sit down and focus on me. See, what Jesus is saying is anxiety is always a problem with priorities. See, if Jesus is in the center of your life, you always have a place to take your anxiety. And if it's your profession or your relationships or your money, if anything else in your life is at the center, if anything else is more important than life, you don't have a place to take your anxiety and you will be torn up by anxiety. Jesus is saying, put me first. Seek first my kingdom and my righteousness and I'm gonna take care of your life. Some of you are saying, well, I'd like to. I've just never been able to believe. I wish I could, but I've never been able. Listen, Listen, there are only two beliefs on which you can base your life. There's only two. Either you are competent to run your life or God is. And whenever you say, I can't believe, that's not the real problem. You wanna know what the real problem is? Here it is. Your real problem is you refuse to doubt yourself. You think you're competent to run your own life. And there's some of you maybe here today right now and I wanna challenge you if this is where you are. You're afraid to give your life to Christ. That means you think you're competent to run your own life. And I wanna tell you today, that is absolutely an act of total blind faith. There's no evidence for it. And you know it. It's a leap of faith against the evidence. And the problem is you refuse to doubt yourself. That's why you can't believe. Don't tell me you can't believe in God. What you mean is I refuse to doubt myself even though there's all kinds of evidence to tell me I should. I'm just calling you whoever you are, wherever you are, put your faith in God. Trust God. He's the only safe place for us to live for us to run our lives. I'm gonna conclude really quickly with five steps on how to apply these principles that we've been talking about today. These are things you can take with you very practically. And the first one is this, give up control. See, where does worry come from? We think worry comes from our problems, you know, all the problems we have. But the problem with that is that it's not true. We worry because we think we can't control our problems. That's the source. See, control is kind of an addictive illusion. And so the process of being free from anxiety starts with the idea, I am not in control. You know, we have a phrase we say around here from time to time, there is a God and it's not me, right? In fact, I just want you to say with me again today, so you get in your heads, I'm not God. I'm not God. Doesn't that feel good? You're not in charge. You know, you're not God. I mean, think about it. Just think in our life. Can you control the economy? No. I mean, you can earn and work hard, invest, and you can save, but at the end of the day, you don't control the economy. Can you control your kids? No. (laughs) 
Some of you need to do a better job at that. Um, <laughs> we need to work on disciplining our kids better, but ultimately you can't control them. Can you control your job? No, of course not. Can you control your spouse? There seems to be a little ambiguity on this one. Uh, but the correct answer is no. You can pray for your spouse. You can love your spouse, but you can't control them. If you want to deal with anxiety, you've got to give up control. Second, you need to take your worries to God. I've been saying this in different ways throughout the message. I just want to nail this down. It's so important because as a general rule, you can't get rid of worry by telling yourself, stop worrying. It doesn't work. I'm not telling you to do that. You can't just say, I'm going to relax. But the Bible says there's this incredible connection between worship and prayer. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. How do you cast your anxiety on God? You pray. That's what Philippians 4, 6 was talking about. You know, whenever you worry, you replace that worry with prayer. So whatever you're worried about, whether it's your kids or your, your, your marriage or your finances or the economy or your retirement or, or war or pandemic, whatever it is, you take that and you give it to God. You cast it on him. You pray about the things that you're worried about. And praying about it doesn't mean you never feel worried. I'm not saying that. The idea here is whenever you feel anxiety, you take that anxiety and you give it to God. You talk to God about it. And your job, your job is not to make your anxious feelings go away. You have one job. Your job is to cast your anxiety on him. Your job is to talk to him about your anxiety. You just give it to him and you trust him. And maybe those feelings go away. Maybe they don't. But then you just go back to step one. You don't have any control over that. You don't beat yourself up over that. You just keep taking it to God and you keep living with God and you keep leaning on God. Number three, listen and respond. You, you, you cast all your anxiety on him, but then you follow it up by saying, God, I know you're in control. You know, there is a God, but it's not me. But God, if there's anything you want me to do, please show me. Because sometimes God wants you to take a step in response to your anxiety. You know, we, we could spend 100 times more energy and time worrying about something we can't control rather than taking a positive step. So this is reminding us dealing with worry isn't always, it's not passive. Sometimes there's things we need to do. And then number four, this is so important, never worry alone. Never worry alone. See, when anxiety grabs my mind, it's self-perpetuating. Have you ever noticed that worrisome thoughts reproduce? Mm -hmm. You think of one little worry, it spins out of control. What if this happens or that happens? And pretty soon, you've got a whole multitude of, uh, of worries. Pretty soon, you're afraid a meteor is about to crash down on your house. It just goes on and on. And, and part of biblical community, why our life groups is a, are so important, is this gives you a place a group of people to tell, hey, I am anxious. I'm worried about, will you help me get some perspective? Will you pray for me? Never worry alone. You, you need people in your life, you know, uh, in your inner core 
who are healthy, who are doing the same thing as you because both peace and fear are contagious. I said fear is contagious earlier, so is peace. Have you ever noticed that? You surround yourself with fearful people, you live in anxiety, but you surround yourself with people who have peace in the midst of difficulty, your peace will grow. You know, there's some people you probably don't need to have in your inner core. I sometimes call them negaholics. You know, they're just negative, negative, negative all the time. You know the type of people, they're the, they're the kind of people who brighten up a room every time they leave. And uh, I mean, you have people like that in your life and they need Jesus too. And I'm not saying you never um, are around them that you should exclude them, but just don't make them your inner core. Be wise. Number five, focus on God's care and love. And there's nothing more important than this. God wants us to stop obsessing about the future. He wants us to trust that he holds the future. And Jesus is just saying, when you seek the kingdom of God and you do that over your kingdom and you do that in this present moment and you just keep doing that the best you can with God's strength, what happens as we seek his kingdom is somehow somehow he redeems our past, no matter how unchangeable it might seem. And at the same time, as we seek his kingdom, somehow he prepares us for the future, no matter how unpredictable it may be. And I don't know how that happens and what that, what that precisely looks like, I, I don't know. I just know that he's called me to do that in this moment, today, to seek his kingdom over my kingdom. And I have noticed in my life, when I do that, it is amazing how God smooths the way, calms the waters, opens doors, takes care of me and the people I love, takes care even when everything else seems to be going crazy all around me. God doesn't want us to live in anxiety. God wants us to give wants to give us peace, even when there's so much turmoil around us. And Jesus says it's possible. It is possible not to live overwhelmed by anxiety. This is God's word for us today. I pray that God will teach us and guide us to apply what we've learned today in our lives in this week that's ahead. Would you bow your heads as we pray together? As your heads are bowed, I just want to say one more time um, that in no way um, am I making light of the fact that many, many of you are facing huge issues and you, you just may be overwhelmed with worry and it could be to do with a relationship spinning out of control. Maybe it has to do with your marriage relationship. Maybe it has to do with your kids. Some of your kids are making horrible decisions you don't know what's gonna happen to them. Some of you are worried about finances. You, you don't have a clue how you're gonna pay the bills and there's just a lot of anxiety. And it just seems maybe to you like it's crazy. Jesus would come along and, and just say something like, do not worry, it seems so insensitive and out of touch. I just wanna remind you that Jesus comes and he comes with such tenderness. He comes with such patience. He comes with such love and he says this because he knows you have a father and your father knows what you need. And so just come to this realization today 
whatever you're anxious about, whatever might happen tomorrow, that you can't even in this moment say, God, I don't, I don't know what's gonna happen, but I know I don't have control. And I never have and I never will have control. So God, you're God, I'm not. And I just wanna give it to you. Maybe your, your prayer right now is, God, I'm casting my anxiety on you, whatever it is. I mean, will you give that to him today? Will you name what it is you're anxious about and just say, God, I'm giving this to you. I'm casting this on you. And God, maybe there's some action you want me to take. Just give me wisdom and courage to trust you and to do what you say. And I think, Lord, for some of us, it's that we need to go to a friend and tell him about our anxiety so that we don't worry alone. But in all that we do, Father, would you help us? Help us to remember that your hands are strong and your heart is good. And we can trust you. So God, as we are in your presence together, as your people gather together, we want to live for you, with you. We want to rejoice in you. We want to have your peace. And so God, we, we pray to you and we trust you and we ask you to take our cares, our worries, our anxieties and we ask you, Lord, to give us the peace that surpasses all, under, all understanding, Lord. And we know that we can pray this prayer with confidence because it is your will to do that. And Lord, it is in your son's name, the name of Jesus, that we pray and all God's people together said.